Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we come to your word, that all of us would quiet our hearts, quiet our minds. Lord, if we have distractions inside of our head, with there's so many things going on. We've started school back or we're about to start school back and just an anticipation for the fall and all the responsibilities that that has. Lord, I pray that as we come this morning with all the things going on in our life, that you would quiet our, our, our souls and, and help us just kind of be still and sit this morning and be ready to hear from you. Lord, this is the most important thing we can do is hear from your word. And so, God, I, I know that it's absolutely, completely not dependent on me at all, but completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we beg you to come this morning. There's nothing I can say or do without your power. And so, I pray that you start with me. Would you change me? Would you give me the desires and the passions to want to live for Christ and his glory. And Lord, as I talk this morning, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would um, go into the hearts and penetrate <coughs> into the hearts of everyone here and cause us to have our affections stirred for Christ more. Cause those who have hearts of stone to have hearts of flesh, those who need to be regenerated, Lord, and, and trust Christ for the first time. Lord, would you bring that about this morning? And those that are walking with Jesus, would you... Um, Help them become stronger, deeper, more sanctified Christians. Lord, we trust you completely, and we just ask that you would move in this service mightily this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, last week we started the mission of Remedy Church, and starting... Last week and going on for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about the mission of Remedy Church. And this is um, a little bit of a break from what's normal. Normally, uh, we just kind of pick a book of the Bible and, and go through it. And we've been going through Matthew. Uh, we'll be starting Matthew 8 very soon. But right now, uh, just as we're getting back and as we're starting um, and some new people are coming in and, and those kinds of things, I want to take a little four-week four pause and talk about What's the mission of Remedy? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to do here? So we can all kind of be on the same page if you're new. And, and if you've been here from the beginning, um, it's just kind of a good, uh, you know, reminder of some of the things that we're trying to do today. So, or trying to do not just today, but actually ongoing at the church. So that's what's going on. So last week I did week one. And if you missed it, that's not a big deal. You can go to iTunes. You can download it. Um, just Google, or not Google, search Remedy Church on iTunes. Um, but... Here, here's what's going on, just so you can have a little bit of a, a little bit of a understanding from last week and how it builds in to this week. Last week, I, I read the mission statement, and this is not a, uh, a mission statement that's, you know, um, just particular to Remedy. I think it's, you know, I don't know if any other churches use this, but the ideas or the, the concepts that are, that are being taught that we want to accomplish through this, through this mission statement are really any church's mission statement. So let's, let's go ahead and read it. It should be on the screen. It says, um, Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him and with one another through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you can see in this, in this mission statement and any church's mission statement, there's big, there's three big ideas 
that all things that are that are you know biblical churches that are trying to accomplish number one the worship of god you can see remedy church exists to glorify god that's that's the number one thing that most churches are trying to accomplish um, along with these other two which are um, you have believers in your church that you want to see grow into christ become deeper followers of christ become more sanctified and then the third piece is um, as you're growing in christ those believers want to go out into the world um, and be sent on mission to see people that don't know christ become followers of christ and all three must be held in balance. Um, you can't focus in on one and kind of neglect the other two. Ch- uh, biblical churches will try to do all three of those with the best of their ability. And that's what we're trying to capture in this mission statement. Um, and those are kind of the three big, huge ideas that all churches are trying to do. Um, worship God, see their believers get stronger, <clears throat> and um, evangelize those that don't know Christ. So that's our mission statement. And that's, we, that's what we talked about last week. And at the very end of last week, we uh, looked at Ephesians 2 and we, we talked about the gospel and how that is really the centerpiece and the, 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 um, the everything that we're trying to do here is centered around the gospel. And so that's, what, that's what we, how we ended. Now, what we're going to do over the next three weeks are talk about what are known as the core values of Remedy Church. Um, and here's the deal. I want to explain this. You can see all five of them up here right now. Scripture, worship, missional living, service, and community. Those are our five core values. And, and what that means is this. Um, we want to accomplish our mission statement. Worship God, see Christians get stronger, and evangelize the lost. We want to accomplish our mission statement, those kind of three big pictures. And the way we're going to do that, the way that God has wired Remedy Church to, to accomplish that mission statement is by focusing in on these five things. And so we believe if we focus in on these five things that we'll accomplish our mission statement. And this is what I mean. Like if we focus in on scripture, then we will know who God is. We will worship him better. And if we worship him better, then we'll grow in our faith. We'll grow in understanding. We'll see the commandments of his and want to follow those things. We'll see also the, com- the, the commandments to go make better disciples and we'll go and be better uh, evangelists. So that's how we, you can see all three of them being accomplished in scripture. And then the next thing is worship. If we really focus in on, on being um, intense worshipers, those that are um, really affectionate for Christ, then that's accomplishing the first thing. And as we're worshiping, then we know that the more we worship Christ, the more we become more like him. And even if unbelievers in here, First Corinthians says this in chapter 14, whenever they come in into our meetings and they see us worshiping, they'll fall on their face and they'll repent. And so you can see each one of these things accomplishes the big idea of the mission statement. So here's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. Um, three, I'm going to talk through each one of these uh, core, these core values. Today I'm going to do if time permits, um, two of them. And then the next week I'm going to do two more. And then the last week I'm going to do community. So that's, that's where we're going and that's how things are going to work. And we're, we want to um, hold high these core values and we want to concentrate on doing these five things really well. And if we accomplish these five things in our lives and in the life of this church, we believe that we'll do our mission statement. Um, now here's the deal. You'll notice that uh, we don't have Jesus or we don't have the gospel and our five core core values. And that's there's a reason. Um, it's not I don't think it's very wise to say, well, one of our core values is Jesus. And another core value is this. Um, the, Jesus and his gospel kind of are the core values like that's everything. And we we believe that's just who we are. And as we're 
worshiping Christ and believing his gospel, we want to do it in these five particular ways. So um, we can't, we, we, I don't think it's wise just to have Jesus as one thing. And then after we do that one, then we'll do the next. Jesus should always be in everything that we do. So um, that's what's going on. Uh, and so today, my goal, um, and it's, I think, lofty, is to talk about number one and number two, scripture and worship. Core value one, scripture, core value two, worship. And if the Lord is kind, we should be able to get through those. Um, all right, so number one, scripture. Uh, there's there's a text that I want to that I want to use as kind of a launching point um, as we go into scripture. And just so you know, uh, the way we're going to look at scripture, um, there's really as we're thinking about the big picture of scripture, there's there's two things that. I want to talk about when we talk about scripture. And then after we have those two things, there's, there's kind of a, a two-point conclusion. But I think this text is going to be really, really important to be able to uh, understand what we believe about scripture. This text, I think, um, is one of the most important texts in understanding how to approach the Bible. I think this text right here, this is in John chapter 5, is probably one of the most important texts to understand how to approach the Bible. Because you've probably heard sometimes that uh, the Bible's a roadmap for life, or the Bible, you know, has, and there's lots of, there's lots of words that people use, but uh, as we look at this, I think that you'll see um, maybe the best way to talk about the scriptures are the way that we see Christ most clearly, the way that we understand the gospel most clearly, and as we understand Christ and his gospel most clearly, as we approach the scriptures in that way, then that's what stirs our affections for him. So the, the Bible is not a rule book. It's not like, oh, I got to do this and not do that. Instead, the Bible is a place where we see Jesus as the most precious reality in the world and what he's done for us in the gospel. Therefore, I want to respond to what he's done with a life of worship. Let, here it is. Um, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in John 5. These are just um, rule followers. I mean, they love rules. And they're missing the whole point. As they're studying the Bible and, and studying all the, all the rules, they're missing the whole point. Look what it says in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So he's saying, you know the scriptures, Pharisees, awesome. So the goal here is not that you just memorize the Bible. The goal here is not that you just know where every single thing is. If I say, you know, I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, and step out and, you know, you get your gold star for doing Bible drill. That's not the goal. The goal is to know the scriptures, not as an end, but as a means to another end, the the biggest end, Christ. So look what it says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them... You have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So this is one of the most important things that you need to know about the scriptures. The scriptures are used to point us to Jesus. And as they point us to Christ, we see him most clearly in every page, even in the Old Testament. All the Old Testament things are about Jesus. And as we, as we go to the scriptures, um, and Christ and his gospel is put on display. It's like a, the gospel is like a, a diamond. And as we look at it, we see more beautiful realities about Jesus and the gospel in every single verse. And all of those things are designed to um, stir our affections for him and want to live for him. So that's the way I want you to think about scriptures now as we're talking about um, scriptures being one of the core values of remedy is because they take us to Christ. Now you can see why Jesus wasn't one of the core values, but he's over all of them. All right, we worship Jesus. We, we use the scriptures to take us to Christ. Um, so 
here we go. The first thing, uh, when we think about the scriptures, um, the first thing that I want us to think about is particularly love of the scriptures. Love of the scriptures. That's point number one. And you can see John 5 was one place. Um, let me read you a couple other texts just to kind of give you an idea about what I'm saying whenever I talk about love of the scriptures. And when I say love of the scriptures, um, don't miss that I mean love of the scriptures because they take us to Christ. Not love of the scriptures because we just want to love the scriptures themselves. We should love the scriptures themselves without question. And we're going to see that even in here. But love of the scriptures because they point us to God. Here's Psalm 19. This is um, Psalm 19 is uh, a pretty popular psalm. And in the first half, it talks about what's known as general revelation. In the second half, it talks about special revelation. And what that means when we say general revelation is it talks about the creation and it talks about how everything in the world that God has made points us to him. That's kind of the first half. And then the second half, it talks about literally his scriptures, his word, what he's written, the thing that specially reveals, revelation meaning reveals God to us. And so the psalmist is writing about how in the first half of Psalm 19, how uh, it points, to, all creation points to God and how spe- um, specifically he's pointed to God in the second half. And as he's writing about how much he loves his word in the second half, there's one little verse in Psalm 19, verse 10. I want you to see just as, as he talks about how much he loves the word of God. It says, more to be desired, talking about the, the, the word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. That's how beautiful and how precious the word of God is. That's Psalm 19. There's also Psalm 119, which I don't have time. I have like, I have a ton of verses that I wanted to show you in Psalm 119, but um, I'm just going to read a couple of them for you. Uh, that I thought were quite awesome. I, I, the entire Psalm 119, which is around 170 verses, is devoted to pointing out to how beautiful the, the Word of God is. And so I, I just, you know, invite you this week, um, not that I can invite you, but I encourage you this week to go read Psalm 119 this week. Just read the whole thing through over the course of this week, and you'll see over and over and over um, how how much this writer loves the Word of God. But let me just read a couple of them for you in Psalm 119. This is verse 111. It says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are, for they are the joy of my heart. They are the joy of my heart. So you can see this, this man, the writer, loves the Word of God. There's one more I want to read you. This is great. Psalm 119, 131 says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Like, that's intense um, imagery. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I want my heart to say these kinds of things that I long for his word so much that I am panting for it, that I want it so badly. So that's that's a couple um, texts just to kind of point out for us. So the first thing when we're talking about scripture here at Remedy is we want for you um, as those that that are part of Remedy Church to absolutely love the Word of God, love being in the Word of God, love having time set aside every day, long or short, however your schedule um, would allow, that you would be in the Word a lot. Um, It's very important that you would love the Word of God. Now, that's the first thing when we talk about Scripture. The second thing that um, we want to talk about when we talk about Scripture is sufficiency of Scripture. So this is the second idea, and there's, um, I'm going to unpack that in just a second, but uh, let, me, let me explain to you what I mean by sufficiency of Scripture this way. The Word of God is what changes people. 
It's the word of God that actually changes people. Now, people can attain some level of life change by sheer willpower or by encouraging um, talks. So if, if you have someone who just encourages you, like, come on and buckle down, you can stop doing that sin and start doing this kind of thing. We can have change. There's no question about it. Um, but for long-term, sustained change, that glorifies God the most. And I'm not going to say that um, other kinds of change don't glorify God, but that I think brings God the most glory when we are absolutely dependent on His Word to change us. And then we look back and we've changed and we say, only God did that. Instead of, well, I had these problems and I just tried much harder and now I don't do it anymore. Well, you know, that really brings ourself more glory than God. So the Word is what changes people. Let me read this text from Hebrews 4. It says this, For the word of God is living, this is Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So, unlike any other book in the world, unlike any other book in the world, I mean, if you read Harry Potter, or you read comic books, or you read theology books, or you read... The internet's blogs, whatever. I always like to put the S on the internet. I don't know why. So anyway, um, if you read any of those things, that's just reading words. But when you read the Bible, the Bible itself, it says, for the word of God is living and active. So this is not like reading any other book in the world. This book is different. And when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a Christian and you read it, you can see how it actually, it's not like it does this right here. It doesn't breathe like it has a heartbeat, but it's living and active. And as you read it, what it does is it pierces down to the division of your soul. It starts exposing to you repeatedly all the places that don't glorify Christ. Now, other books might do that in some ways, but none of them do it like the Word of God. And so, when we talk about sufficiency of Scripture... What we mean is that the Bible, in and of itself, is sufficient. It's all you need in order to become a deeper follower of Christ. So every day, if you want to be more like Christ, the Scripture is sufficient. Accountability is great. Being on mission is great. Um, you know, having someone point out sin in your life is great. All those things are helpful. However, the Bible in and of itself is sufficient. It is what you need the most of anything. And so the way we apply that here to the local church is um, the majority of the year, 45 probably at least, maybe even more times uh, on, out of a year, out of 52, uh, what I'm going to do is just pick a book of the Bible and teach all the way through that. We've taught through, I think, around four now. Uh, by, we, we've gone through Galatians, we went through 1 Timothy, we've gone through 1 John, we're halfway, well, I mean, it's halfway, we're a quarter of the way through Matthew, um, and because the reason why, we, we've gone through chapter 7, it took about seven months, uh, the reason why is because I believe that if I stand up here and tell you a lot of stories and get you all kind of excited and jacked up to go out and I just try to encourage you and get you, woohoo, that wears off in about two weeks, but if I take the word of God and I just take 12 verses at a time and tell you what Jesus is saying, then I think that's what's going to cause you to have the deepest level of affections for Christ. Because, because I believe the Bible about what it says about itself. It says that's what it does. And so 
I don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Let me show you another text that says that. And this right here, man, this is awesome. This is one of those texts that when preachers read, they just want to stand up and start preaching. So good thing I'm here. Um, Andy's going to want to stand up and just go at it. But here we are. Um, Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Now, this is um, a letter written by Paul to a pastor. And at the, this is the very end. So he wrote First Timothy, a letter to, to Timothy. And Second Timothy, Paul is at, at the end of his life. There's no question about it. We know that he is very, very close to the end of his life. And these are the last thoughts of a mentor, pastor, elder to a young pastor and telling him how to um, live inside of a church and pastor a church well. And so this is what he tells him. Um, and, and just notice... What I want you to see, and we're going to start at 3.14, and we're going to go down into 4. Um, what I want you to see is the absolute dependence that Paul has on the Scriptures and what he's trying to convey to Timothy, um, that Timothy should have an absolute dependence on the Word of God. Look at this. Um, remember, this is, letters, this is a letter from a pastor that's about to die to a young pastor who's pastoring a church and saying, this is what you need in order to pastor this church well. In verse 14, it says this. Um, verse 14 says, let me see here, here we go. All right. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Um, Timothy was raised in the faith at a very young age. And so Paul's exhorting him, you were, you were raised in the faith at a very young age. And I'm telling you right now, continue in it. So wherever you are right now, if you've been taught from a very young age or if you've just gotten converted recently in the last, at, a, at an older age, whatever you've learned, he's exhorting you and he's exhorting me and he's exhorting Timothy that we need to continue doing those things. Whatever you've learned about Jesus... Continue applying it. Don't apply it for a time and then kind of let it go. Continually apply everything you keep learning about Jesus. So, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Have you been acquainted from the sacred writings? So we can see, um, we can see Timothy was very fortunate to have been raised to know the sacred writings from a very young age. And if, if that was you, I mean, that was me, you, it's, it's a whole lot more fortunate in your life that you know the Word of God. You have a basis when they start talking about stories from the Old Testament. Um, I usually know what they're talking about because, you know, as soon as, like, I was born, there we go to church. Um, and if, if, that was your, if that's your story, that's not a bad story. That's actually a really good story. Don't be ashamed of that. Um, you should be proud of that. All right, so here's, here's what... Here's what we're going to see here, though. We've, we've reached a point where he's telling him to apply these things, and then he's going to start specifically talking about these sacred scriptures, and he's going to start telling him, Timothy, these are the things that the Word does. I want you to notice the things that the Word does. All right, here we are. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, here they are, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So those that are unbelievers, the scriptures themselves can save people. The scriptures. Now we know God does it and he uses the word, but what he's saying is that the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he's going to even unpack more about the scriptures. That first little point talks to unbelievers getting saved. Now look at the rest of 16 and 17. There's six things here that the scriptures by themselves do for those that are Christians now. 
Look at this. It says all scripture is breathed out by God. That that breathed out by God is Theo Nustas, Theo God, Nustas breathed. So it's it's literally God breathed. All scripture has been <sighs> like breathed out by God um, to the writers. And as they wrote, it's uh Peter says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe that they still had their personality, but they they were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they wrote these sacred scriptures. They're literally the breath of God, these things. And look what they do. All scripture is breathed out by God and, here we are, profitable for teaching. That's one of the things they do. Um, For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So it teaches you to know who God is. It It reproofs and corrects you. So whenever you have just obvious, terrible sin in your life and you're reading and you're like, oh, that hurts. I can't read that. It makes me feel terrible. That's what the scriptures do. It shows you your sin. But whenever it convicts you, the Holy Spirit, he convicts you. He always comforts. He couples conviction with comfort. That's how great God is. Um, so also it's it's profitable for teaching, reproof and correction. Now it's profitable for training in righteousness. It's going to show you how to be more righteous, more like Christ, more sanctified. The next thing is, is that the man of God will be competent. It's going to help you be a competent follower of Christ. Here it is, equipped for every good work. Now we know from last week when we were looking at Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared good works in advance that you should walk in them and the scriptures equip you to do those good works. That's six things right there in 16 and 17 that the word of God does. Now listen, if that's the truth, then it would be a complete disservice, at least in my mind, if I didn't do anything but teach you the scriptures. If it does all those things... All I can do is give you, I have nothing else. And that's exactly what Paul, that's the only conclusion Paul is going to go to in four. Look what they, look what this. So he tells him all these things and then four and he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he, he builds up. I'm charging you based on all these things then, Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. And so this is the charge of all pastors is to preach the word. Now, I'm not saying pastors don't preach the word. I know they do all over America. But that that text in particular, I when I read that, I see that I have my marching orders, if you will. I have exactly in the scriptures what I'm supposed to do. So when I talk about the core value is scripture, and when I say the sufficiency of scripture, I really believe the sufficiency of scripture. So that's why whenever it says it's going to do all these things in your life, and I can't express to you how much I want those six things to happen in your life. I want you to be taught by the word of God. I want you to be reproved and corrected. I want you to be trained in righteousness. I want you to be competent, and I want you to walk in those good works. I pray for it all the time. And so I know that the way that I can um, be used by God to assist that, to bring that about in your life on Sunday mornings, is that I would preach the word. Now, we're here one hour a week. So when I talk about the love of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture, that's the philosophy that I'm operating with on Sunday. But... I desperately need for you to operate with that same assumption the rest of the week. I need for you, as a believer of Jesus that is 
supposed to spend time in the scriptures every single day. I need for you, when you wake up on Monday and go through Saturday, to love the scriptures like John 5 and, and Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 is talking about. And I need for you to believe in the sufficiency of scripture so that as you're going throughout this week and you're going out throughout next week, you are so dependent on the word of God to, to live and to walk in Christ that when you come here, you'll see what I'm talking about because when I give you the scriptures... Um, the Lord does, not me. But whenever I preach, um, God is even making your heart more affectionate for him. He's, he's causing you to want to walk in his statutes more. So when I say scripture is one of the things that we want to hold high as our core value here at Remedy, I don't just mean Sunday morning. I mean you and your life need to, absolutely have to, love and be dependent on the scriptures in your life. Every morning or day or night, whatever works for you. I don't want to be a legalist and say it has to be. I mean, I, I think the morning's the wisest. But if you can't, you know, if you have a job that you have to be there at 5 a.m., then whenever you can, you need to be in the Scriptures every single day because you love the Scriptures and because you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and because you want those things to happen in your life. So that's the first the first thing is Scripture. Now, there's two... Uh, there's two kind of concluding points I want to make about Scripture. What does all this mean? What does all this mean? Um, two things I want to say. Number one, um, number one is knowledge. Knowledge. The first thing that's going to happen as you grow in your love for the Scriptures and as you grow um, in your believing of the sufficiency of Scripture, the first thing that's going to happen is that you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. You're going to understand and know Him more which is a very good thing. Um, you need to know who God is in order to worship Him rightly. It, you can't just have some kind of floating, nebulous idea about who God is and, and it not be informed by the Scriptures and say, oh, I love God, the guy that I have in my mind about who He is. That's not worshiping God rightly. So you're going to grow in your knowledge, um, which is what I want. Um, I want you to be encouraged to read the scriptures, memorize, meditate on, saturate yourself in the word of God because it is um, the thing that will show you who he is. And as John 5 said, as you're reading, you're searching the scriptures so that you can find him, so that you can be more informed about Christ and worship him more deeply. So that's the first thing, is that you're going to grow in your knowledge. Growing in knowledge is great, um, and I think that we should all do it, but we have to, as we're growing in knowledge... Um, it has to take us somewhere. We, want, we don't want to just become you know, big-headed about the things of God and we know all this stuff and we have this big fat head that we walk around with. Instead, um, the knowledge should cause something to happen in our lives, which is the second thing. Um, so the first thing that happens when we love the Scriptures, hold sufficiency of Scriptures is knowledge. The second thing is our response. Our response. Um, I've written this out and I just want to read it to you when I say the response. I truly believe that the God of the universe, the one who created everything and breathed life into our lungs, has given us everything we have. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and he is keeping you right now. He's keeping you alive right now. Um, if we truly believe that, all those things, that that particular God, that, that God that's in the scriptures, has spoken to us, the one that has created every single thing, and you, and given you life and breath and everything, if he has spoken in his word then our only right response to that God is to completely submit to what he says. If he has spoken, which he has in his word, 
Our only right response is to completely submit in obedience to the things that he tells us in the scripture and to believe him, to trust him, to when he says, believe in me and believe in Christ and his work on the gospel, um, in the gospel, the only right response we have is to trust him and believe him and follow what he says. It's one thing to believe something about the Bible and it's another thing to say, this changes everything now. And I'm going to completely, actually change everything in my life and to submit to what it says. It's one thing to just kind of give lip service. Oh yeah, I believe that. It's another thing to say, I do believe that. And this changes everything about the way I live my life because of what he says his word will do in my life. I am actually going to allow this to change everything about who I am now. So, when we talk about scripture... um, it's amazing, at least I, I've noticed it in my own life, and perhaps you, this is your experience. Um, I don't think we're any different. Um, it's amazing how um, I will make excuse after excuse after excuse to simply not obey and follow what his word says and not let him be the Lord of my life and worshiping with everything. The, the only right response to the word of God is not a stiff neck, but a bended knee. Because I guarantee you one day, Every single one of us will have a bended knee, whether it's willing or unwilling. We will all one day have a bended knee towards him. So because of that, our, whenever we learn, we have to, and we, we, we have knowledge about Jesus, we have to have the right response. So we read, we memorize, we meditate on, we study the word of God to hear from him and to see Christ in the pages of the Bible as the most precious reality of the world. Um. So practically how this works out, as I said, is that we're going to teach through books of the Bible. Um, And the process by which we do that is we pray through where Remedy Church specifically is struggling the most, the places that we seem to have maybe the most holes or the most deficient in our love and our affection as missionaries, our love and affection for Christ. We think through those things, we pray through those things, and as we come and identify those things, we go to the scriptures and we find the book that identifies that the best, and we teach through that book. And we've seen God amazingly um, work in our our church's life. Whenever we first got started, we we picked the book of Galatians because I wanted us to have a deep understanding of the gospel. So we went through Galatians for about 20 weeks. After we finished that, um, we were a brand new church and I wanted us to understand the church. And I thought it'd be a good thing to understand um, the government of church and how that works. We went to 1 Timothy. That's that's, that's basically what, what it's about. Um, and then the next thing, we wanted to have a little bit of understanding of our security in Christ and to have deep love affections for one another, brotherly and sisterly love affections for one another. First John, we went there and, I mean, halfway, we weren't even halfway through First John. We just saw this huge kind of um, turn around the corner where people were connecting so much more deeper and community was really forming and really love was happening. And I mean, we, I, none of us take any credit for that. It's just the word of God. It's doing what he said and what he promised it's going to do. And so we have a deep love and a deep um, belief in the word of God here. Um, so the second thing is, the second thing is worship. Um, and as we go into worship, there's, there's, really two, there's really two ideas that we're talking about. 
Um, the first one is corporate worship, and, and maybe you've heard these categories of thought before when we talk about worship. The first one is corporate worship, and that's whenever we get together here and we corporately worship through song, we worship through the hearing of the word, we worship through giving, and those kinds of things. It's the gathering together, uh, the ecclesia, the church, the the um, the called out ones, the assembling together of the church. And so we, we believe in that, that corporate worship, and that comes from John 4. Um, in English, uh, we have the word worship. In the Greek, there's really two words that, that talk about worship. One's proskuneo and one's latreo. And both of those, as they're translated into English, mean worship. But they actually have um, uniquely different definitions. And so I'm going to talk about that in here. Um, but the first one is that proskuneo, which is literally just means um, to fall upon the knees, touch the ground, uh, touch the ground with your forehead as an expression of profound reverence. And this is capturing the idea of corporate worship. Whenever we come together and we are just in awe of the person and work of Christ. Um, and so that's, that's, that's from John 4. This is what John 4 says. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship. Every time you see the word worship, this is proskuneo worship. Will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So that's the first idea. Um, it's proskuneo. So we want to, as we come here and as we worship, really hold high this corporate aspect, the, the gathering together of the saints uh, where we hear from the word, we worship together through song, we worship through giving. That's the first thing. Uh, again, this is a core value of who we are. We think that if we focus in on worship and do this in the most biblical God-honoring way, we believe that we'll accomplish our mission. So the first one's corporate, but also the second one is lifestyle, which comes from Romans 12. And this is what Romans 12 says. When you see the word worship there at the end of verse 1, this is that latreo word. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So you can see there, this is this latreo, and this, this is really rendering service unto God. This is not capturing the, the gathering together, but more as we're going out. Uh, it's saying that we offer our bodies, in ver- the beginning of verse 1 it says, as living sacrifices. So this worship that it's talking about is the offering out of our bodies as living sacrifices. This is the idea that as we're going through life, the rest of the day, the rest of the week, when we're outside of here, this lifestyle worship, this... Um, Living life as worship, uh, finding people who need help, worshiping God, being in the scriptures, all the things that captures. All the, and so when we say uh, a core value for us is worship, we don't just mean the gathering together of, uh, on Sunday. We do mean that. We mean proskuneo, corporate worship. But we also mean latreo, lifestyle worship. And we think that if we do both of those well, both of those really well, then we will also accomplish our mission. Um, let me... Let me read a, a text, or not a text, a quote from you, from C.S. Lewis. Um, and this is what I mean when I'm talking about worship and approaching worship in a certain way. Um, this is a very common quote from C.S. Lewis. And when, when I mean worship at Remedy, I want us to approach worship in this way, which is a, this may sound a little weird, but a, a deep self-indulgence in Christ but when I say that, I mean for the glory of Christ and for our joy. So it's a deep self-indulgence. And that's not a wrong thing because it's Jesus. A deep self-indulgence in Christ for his glory and for our joy. Um, this is the quote. And it's kind of lengthy, but it's interesting. So stick with me. Um, it says this. If you ask 20 good men today what they, 
they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you ask almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. So unselfishness is not the greatest thing. He's saying it's love. You see what is... um, You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. Unselfish is negative, has the word un. Love is a positive term. A negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is more of the um, philological importance. And that just means wordy, um, things that deal with words. The negative ideal unselfishness carries with it the suggestion of not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them for ourselves, as if abstinence and not their happiness was the most important point. So you can already see what I'm talking about here when I say a deep self-indulgence in the person and work of Christ. So we're not talking about a removal of things. We're actually talking about a, a diving deep into something. Love, all right, Christ. I do not think that the Christian... I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. So whenever we, he's saying, whenever we refrain from something that's bad, we always should dive into Christ because that is actually, we're refraining from that desire and, and diving into a deeper desire, which is Jesus. Um, I lost my place. All right. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. He's saying um, to desire something is actually not bad as long as it's the right thing and it can only be Jesus in order for it to be the right thing. And then he says this. This is great. Indeed, if we would consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so when I say worship um, is the corporate nature and the lifestyle, um, I mean a deep self-indulgence in Christ for his glory and for our joy, which is a neglect of menial, temporary things and a diving deep into the, the eternal things. And so when we come here to worship, um, we are coming here to worship Christ who is infinite, who offers us more joy than we can ever imagine. Let me give you an idea of what I mean. Um, we're going into the fall. And I mean, I can already feel it in my heart. I, I can't express to you the excitement that is in my veins as Gamecock football is about to start. I mean, I think about it. I'm like, oh, we got Clowney there. We got, we got Lattimore coming. We got Alshon, like the senior quarterback. I mean, we got all these great things. And I start noticing in myself. And I'm not saying following football is bad. Not at all. They're going to be awesome this year. But here's the deal. Um, here, I'm, hope, I'm hoping. So anyway, um, I'm going to eat my words one day. So here's the deal. I find in my heart, though, that I'm thinking about it a lot. 
that I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And what happens in my heart is I find myself, and listen, you can plug that in with anything. Um, election year of the president is coming up in the next year. So you can plug in Fox News as your, as your drug of choice or, or, well, bad idea of word, but you know what I mean. Like whatever it is that stirs your affections, if you start thinking on and and reading about and meditating on and having deep affections for that thing, and that's over Christ, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Then you are settling for playing in a mud slum whenever a holiday at the sea is being offered. And I, I mean, I've already seen it in my life. As, as football season and Gamecock stuff is about, about to approach, um, I find myself thinking about that more. And here's the deal. That's just a game. That's just a game. How much more, how much more should we participate? I mean, you think about the game. Like, they, they go early and they eat all day and tailgate. They get to their seats really early so that they can get to feel the stadium. And I mean, all these things. How much more then should we worship, anticipate the gathering together of the saints whenever we get to come here and worship the Savior of our souls? That's so much more infinitely important. And I'm not saying that following football is bad. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying don't let, don't let the adversary fill your heart and your mind with so much of that which does not matter eternally so you don't have room for which does matter eternally. You were made to worship. That's why I, that's why I think about the game cuts because I'm, I was made to worship, but I don't want to worship them. I want to worship Christ or, Fill it in, whatever your blank is. You were made to worship, and if you start finding your heart being drawn over, it can be a girl, it can be a boy, it can be a football sport, it can be, I mean, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you find your affections being drawn over to that, and that's taking the place of Jesus, well, then you're filling your heart and your soul with the finite. And your whole, your, your, your heart was not designed for that. Your heart was designed to be filled with the infinite, which is Christ. So, what I want you to do is come eager. Come here on Sunday mornings eager to worship the risen Savior. So here's, again, just like Scripture with, with uh, worship, there's two responses. There's two things that I want to point out, or two points of conclusion, I should say. This is our, this is our approach. This is our pattern here at Remedy. Um, and I want to point this out, not just with the corporate Proscaneo piece, but also with the, with the uh, Latreo lifestyle piece. But here, let me talk about the first one. This is our pattern. Revelation response. Revelation response. So um, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that if God has spoken to you through His Scriptures and He's revealed Himself, then we respond. And so as we come together corporately with Proscaneo, we have revelation, then response. Revelation just means the revealing. Like God has revealed himself specifically through his word, which means afterwards, that's why we have the majority of our worship afterwards. Um, and you'll even notice like the, the way the songs flow together. Um, the first song usually revolves around with something that has to do with confession of sin, repentance of sin, acknowledgement of Christ in the gospel, and those kinds of things, as we are made aware of our need for Jesus. And then we have the Word, where we see Christ, and hopefully the gospel has been, been preached, and then as that's happened, and our affections for Jesus has been stirred, then we have response. 
We have songs that point to Christ as our only hope, point to Christ as um, the most beautiful reality in the gospel. And that's revelation through the word, and then we respond. That's how we've done it. And the reason why is um, just we feel like that that is here, at least, um, the best way that we can, we can have a Sunday morning gathering. I used to, whenever I was at other churches, if you spend any time in church, usually it's kind of the opposite. It's majority of worship, and then the preaching, and then like a half chorus where you just do the bridge, maybe, and then you're like out in five minutes in the parking lot talking about where you're going to eat lunch and, and that kind of thing. And I just, like, I would get like a little bit like, oh, I can't, I'm not ready to go out and talk. I want to talk about that. I'm ready to go. I want to eat. But if I've just heard from God like heard from God, I need a little air to breathe and a little space to breathe here where I can think and respond and think about what that means in my life. And then I'm ready to go eat lunch so, or, or talk about whatever. But, so that's how we try to do it here. We, we want to leave some time at the end of the sermon for you to respond. There's usually around three songs, which means you can sit and think and pray for the first couple songs. Um, read the scriptures, uh, whatever you want to do. Maybe you want to pray with someone that's sitting beside you. We want there to be freedom in worship in that kind of way. And then whenever you're ready, stand and sing out. And you have enough time in worship to do, how, do those things however the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, and then also, when we talk about uh, latreo or lifestyle worship, let me, let me read a text to you from Hebrews, which uh, there's two verses that I'm going to read. The first verse will kind of highlight that that corporate proskuneo piece, and then the second verse will, will highlight that lifestyle worship. Let me, let me read this to you. This is Hebrews. It says, Through Him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So you can see that that's the, that's the um, proclaiming out to Him, revering Him through song, or, or proskuneo, catching that, that corporate style. And then 16 says, And... Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So um, what, what I want to point out to there is this. Corporate worship fuels your lifestyle worship. Whenever you're worshiping here, it fuels you to go and live a lifestyle of worship. Lifestyle of worship is obvious. Killing sin in your life, being in the Word, finding those who need help and giving them assistance, preaching the gospel to those that don't know Christ, doing the work of the evangelist, those kinds of things. That's what we mean by lifestyle worship. So as you corporately worship together, it fuels you to go do lifestyle worship and the reciprocal. As you do lifestyle worship and you're doing all those things, it fuels you to come into here and you are far more focused to do what we call corporate worship. So we want to lift high this idea of worship because we believe when we're doing this, then we're accomplishing our mission. So I'm going to I'm going to pray, and um, then we're going to go into our time of worship. And so I just I just say this: as the Lord is leading you, um, in whatever way He's leading you, um, take some time here, think through. Maybe you've neglected a deep down belief in the sufficiency of Scripture in your life. Examine your heart, pray for forgiveness. Every time you're feeling convicted, God always gives you comfort. So if you have, honestly, just a complete abstinence of the Word of God in your life, you can't remember the last time you were in the Scriptures. Here's the good news about the Gospel. If you start reading the Scriptures right now for the rest of your life, God is not more in love with you now than He was when you went nine years without reading the Scriptures, if you're a believer in Christ. 
the days you were not reading for nine years, He loved you just as deeply then as He does if you read the Scriptures the rest of your life. That's good news. And that doesn't drive you to say, oh, well then I'm not going to read it for another nine. No. That drives you to say, that kind of love is unfathomable. I don't treat my family like that. I don't treat my friends like that. I don't treat anyone like that. I hold grudges. But God's love is unbelievable. That causes me to worship Him and to love Him. I'm going to read them because I love Him so much. I want to spend time with Him in the Scriptures because as I, John 5, as I see the Scriptures, they point me to Him. The one who is the deepest love of my soul. So maybe that's where you are this morning. You just need to repent for your lack of love for the scriptures because they, you know that they now lead you to Jesus and it's really a lack of love for Christ. Maybe it's just worship. Maybe you don't see or understand worship. Maybe you don't participate. And I just don't mean corporate worship here. I mean lifestyle. Maybe you don't participate in that and you've been convicted by the Spirit and you know that you need to. You need to start... Um, walking, or even here. I mean, there's freedom here. You can raise your hands, you can get down on your knees, you can just stay right where you are and sing in your soul. There's no like, you have to do it this way. Corporately or lifestyle. But if, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, it's time to make adjustments that glorify Christ more in your life, this is your opportunity to think, pray, and whenever you're ready, Stand, because as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, He brings comfort. And when He does, all we want to do is stand and give Him the glory. So I'm going to pray, and however however God's leading you right now, I ask that you would pray through those things. If you need to repent, repent from those things. Trust in the gospel for your righteousness, not your ability to do those things. Trust that God has given you all of His righteousness if you're in Christ. If you don't know Jesus and you want to become a Christian, you can come talk to me. I'll be right here. You've got time to think through these things because here's the deal. We've got three more. But as you and as we as a church start focusing more on Scripture in our life, believing the sufficiency, um, really becoming worshipers, service, Uh, missional living community, then we are going to, as a church, accomplish the mission of God much more effectively, which is to give Him glory, which is to become stronger disciples, and which is to see the lost come to Christ. Which I, I think we would all agree, yeah, I want that. So, these are two out of the five that we hold high, and if the Lord is convicting you, I ask that you would just think through, pray through, don't get distracted by the people that are here with you, and then stand and worship with us. Let's pray. Father God, um, I confess to you that I am person number one that needs to hear these things and walk in these things in a much more effective way. I think every single one of us would say, my prayer life is not what it should be. My time in the Word is not what I wish it would be. Um, My lifestyle, even my corporate worship perhaps, is not what it should be. I sing the words, but my heart's not in it. I, when I'm out, I'm living a life of worship. I think of Jesus half the time, and sometimes don't, and most of the time don't even follow through. I believe His Word is living and active, but I don't read it. I believe in the power of prayer, but I don't. I love Christ, but it's just a lot of things I'm not doing. All of us can identify with those kinds of feelings, and I'm person number one standing here before you, Father. 
saying, I want to be changed just like everybody else. I want to accomplish the mission of the church along with every one of my friends here. So God, convict us. Lead us into repentance with your kindness. Develop in our hearts a deep desire to want to do your mission. Father, we're heading into an awesome time. Life is for sure full of seasons. And the fall, as everything is starting back, it is a great, great time to really grow in our love of Scripture, really grow in our worship, and be used by you to make disciples. Be with us as we worship God. Please, let us not do anything on our own power, but only believe and hope in the gospel. Our righteousness has already been given to us by God. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.